This is the last part of the, the encounter, the second encounter that Nebuchadnezzar has with the Lord. Let me give you a summary of what happened so far. So Nebuchadnezzar is a, a king who is not of the chosen people of Israel. He is not a king of Israel, but God has used Nebuchadnezzar to rule over his people in the time that his people were being rebellious to God. Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was always been rebellious to God. So after a certain time, God said, I had enough. God allows the Assyrian to take the northern kingdom into captivity. But the southern kingdom, Judah, persists for a time. And even in this time, you have kings like Hezekiah, which is a good king. But after Hezekiah, you have, you have Josiah which is the last good king of Judah. And then after Josiah, we have all bad kings. Now, I use the term bad and good very loosely. Bad meaning they don't follow the Lord and they worship idols. So what happened is at the end of the last king of Judah, God said, I had enough. I'm going to send you into captivity with a foreign king who is not my people. And that king is Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel grew up or were taken into captivity in Babylon, which is where Nebuchadnezzar is. And while he's there, he and three friends became one of the wisest people in Babylon. So the first story was Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in this dream, he saw something that was very disturbing. And he wanted to know what the, the meaning of his dream was. So we realized that God talks to people who are not his people. In fact, God is the creator. Everyone belonged to him. He chose to talk to a donkey. So he talks to this king in a dream. The king doesn't know. And we are the agent of interpretation. God has brought Daniel and his friends to Babylon to interpret to this foreign nation the mind of God. This is our responsibility. What is my purpose as a Christian here on earth? And I will tell you this, your purpose on earth is to interpret God's thoughts and God's desire to the people around you. This is our responsibility. Question comes back is, do you know God's thought? So Daniel was placed in Babylon. God talked to King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar go, I don't get it. What are all these images in my dream means? And it bugs him, it bothers him. There's a lot of people around you who God is, is calling them, talking to them, but they don't know. And so they need you to come into their lives who are, in fact, have a connection with God. And God reveals to Daniel with his friends what the king's dream was. Daniel told the king, the king recognized that there is a God in heaven. He worshiped Daniel. That was the end of the first story. Contrary to what you think, it is so hard for people to worship God. It is very hard. You can acknowledge God, but it's very, very hard for someone to wholly submit and worship God. It is very hard. And I know a lot of you in here think that, oh, I worship God. But in fact, I want to challenge that thought. Do you really worship God? Is God your God? Or you just acknowledge God? You say, yeah, I know that God exists and I acknowledge God, but I'm not worshiping God. Why am I saying this? If you worship God, in fact, if you are worshiping God, then I will tell you this, that everyone around you would know 
that you are a worshiper of God. Your life would be reflecting Christ. And you know, that's not what's happening to Nebuchadnezzar. Because he set up an image, the very next chapter, he wants people to worship that image. One of the biggest and most extravagant, probably the costliest selfie ever was that image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. He worshiped himself. Like many of us here today, we worship ourselves. And that's the second encounter Nebuchadnezzar has with God. And the third encounter, God will show Nebuchadnezzar who he really is. That's the third encounter. But this is the second encounter. We talked about how God unmasking ourselves. And we, in fact, we say that we worship God, but in fact, we are worship men. And ultimately, we worship ourselves. Nebuchadnezzar set up this great big image. I'm sure it's not the image of him, but I'm sure it speaks about Nebuchadnezzar. And he wants everyone to bow down and worship. We like people to like us, right? Don't look at me like that. We do. That's why you keep checking your Instagram. You see how many people heart your posts. Sometimes it's not you on there. It's your food. But regardless, you want people to like it because you put it there. And Nebuchadnezzar is the same thing. It might not be his image, but because he put it there, he wants people to like it. He wants people to worship it. And we have the same tendency. When we put something up, when we announce something to the world, we want them to like it. We want them to thumbs up. We want them to heart it. We want them to star it. We want them to retweet it. We want them to, and God is revealing that. And he's saying, if that's something that you're after, you're actually worshiping yourself. You are worshiping, your, you are your own idol. Or some of you say, I don't do that. But who are you following? Who are your heroes? Who are your idols? Who are the ones that are grouped into that inner circle that the relationship is only one way? You know them, they have no idea who you are. Right, Ben? Somebody, yeah. Someone friended you, like really famous, you feel like some kind of covert superstar. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. That's something innate in us. We like that feeling. We like people pay attention to us, like us. If you are big on social media and you look on Instagram, you look on Facebook, not Facebook, but on Twitter, you realize that famous people don't follow a lot of people. They have a lot of people follow them. If you want, I have a program I, I wrote that allows you to do that. You, you befriend a bunch of people and then you unfriend them and the ones that don't really care, after a while, they see your number goes up, you know, the number of friends that follow you and you follow less friends. They said, oh, this person must be really, really important. But in fact, you just unfriend a lot of people who hadn't had a chance to unfriend you. And then other people look at, oh, this, and then they start friending you because they think that you, and then you haven't posted anything in 100 years. But yet people still follow you. It's all mine. We want to be what we project to be. And then we talked about into the furnace. A lot of people are following the crowd. We see Nebuchadnezzar set up this statue. Everyone was bowing down. These three guys who, who don't. It would be simple for them just to bow down, not make a big scene out of it. Why you draw attention to yourself? But they don't bow down. They are principally bound to worship God and God alone. Are you bound by the principle of God? Or are you just wishy-washy? Today, I worship God because I'm in church, but tomorrow, I'm in my own environment. I will live my life the way I want to, and then on Sunday, I will worship God. That is not a Christian. That's only a Christian by name or by date. 
we need to be a Christian by principle, not only bound by principle, but bound by the word of God. And these three friends, they did not bow down to the statue, not because they couldn't. It would be easier if they just bow down when they hear the music, the cornet, the flute, the, the sakbat. It would be very easy. But you don't. How many times do you see something in your news feed and you don't like it, but yet you still like it? Just because if you don't, people are going to ask questions. Why? Why didn't you like my image? What? You know, I was looking for your like. D did you see my picture? Yeah, I saw your picture. Why didn't you like it? Uh, did I, was I supposed to? So, and then next time, every time I see the person post any image, I like it. I don't know why, because I don't want people to, I don't want them to ask me, why didn't you like it? But I don't know why I like it. It's easier. I don't want to have to deal with this person. Ask, didn't you see my image? Yeah, it's food. I, you know, I, I don't care about food. I, I, actually, I don't, I don't. But then next time they put it, like, so that, you know, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to deal with the person. It's easier. But Sidrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are bound. They cannot do it. They were thrown into the fire. And so now, number three, why? Why did God set all these things up? What is the reason and why is all of this happening? What is the ultimate purpose that God wanted them to be thrown into the fire? Why did God set in motion Nebuchadnezzar, the dream that he has? Why did God send Daniel and his friends to interpret the dream? Why did God set up this golden statue or allow Nebuchadnezzar to set up this golden statue? And then in the end, have the three friends thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Why? What is the ultimate goal of God? And today I want to tell you the ultimate goal of your life and everything that happened to you. Ready for this? It is not about you. It never was about us, never be about us. If you ever think that this was about Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this was about Nebuchadnezzar, this was about Daniel, we're all wrong. We got the story wrong. This story and our lives and our, the, our pursuit is only for one reason and one reason alone. And that is to reveal Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's it. Everything that happened to us, everything that happens in our lives, everything that we go through is to reveal God's Son. And that is it. If you think about it, Daniel, his friends, they were agents to do what? Just imagine this. Are you imagining this? What did I just do? I just ran. I just made a scene. Why? I want you to look at something. Oh, a clock. I'm just an agent. I am here to turn your attention to something that I'm supposed to turn your attention to. I'm just a pointer. I'm just an agent. I'm just a catalyst to something that's more important to you. And at this time, it's the clock. But in the story here, and in our lives, and in eternity, the most important subject is Christ, the Son of God. And we are here to point people's attention to the Son of God. Where are people paying attention to? This golden image. They're all paying attention 
at this image. It's shiny, it's shimmering, it's tall. It's almost 100 feet tall. It's in a plain where everyone can see 13 miles away. Everyone's looking at it. There's music, there's sound. There's the king with his royal decree. There's a lot of things that are causing you to pay attention to what? This image. And God has to say, you know what? I am going to use three eunuchs to turn their attention away from this enormous attraction to something that is infinitely more important and eternal. That is my son. I'm going to turn your attention to my son. And I'm going to use these three oddballs to do it. Because we, as human beings, we like to see people die. How many of you like watching horror movies? You never come out to say that you like watching horror movies, but it's intriguing, isn't it? You know, when you see something that's scary, what do you do? We like to see other people punish. We like to see other people get hurt. Junior high, what do you do when you see a fight? You come over, you go, and then they walk away, and you go, oh, I was hoping to see somebody, you know, we are so drawn to violence because in the end, it's not us getting hurt. There's something that's been released, some pain being relieved by someone else, and we are we're just a, a bystander. The majority of the reason why we're stuck in traffic, rubberneckers, they come by, they see an accident, and then they slow down, and then they go, oh. And then it backs up, like for miles and miles and miles. You want to see the hurt that people go through. You know what? God understands this. It's human nature because otherwise we don't need to be saved. But because we are headed for destruction ourselves, we love it. Therefore, our inclination is to do what? We drink. How many people who drink knows that if you drink excessively, it will kill you, but yet we, we still drink? We intuitively and we like to do things that we know. It would, it would put us so close to the edge and then we pull back. It gives us a, a rush. How many of you like roller coasters? You like that feeling like, you know, all your guts is up in your throat? Right. Yeah. You like it. You enjoy it. How many of you do bungee jumping before? You like it? I want to do it. I'm scared half to death, but I want to do it. You want to look at death and then pull away. Say, yeah, okay, I'm so close to it, but then it can't touch me yet. You are so drawn to death and destruction. This is all human nature. God knows this. And what he does is that I'm going to turn people's attention to something that's important, and that is death. That's what he did. We see that these three men were instrumental for God to reveal his son. And for him to do it, it has to mean that they would need to suffer and die because men are drawn to that. Look with me in verse 25, and this is the reason. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men lose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So this is what God is interested in. Everyone was looking at this golden statue. Everyone's attention was there. Everyone's ear were there. They were there to worship this golden statue. And God says, I want you to see my son. There's no way 
that people would be interested in seeing God's Son. Now, if I ask you this, if today that is the fiery furnace, the socket right here, and it's burning with fire, and I say, I'm going to jump in, suddenly you're not going to you're not fall asleep anymore. You're going to pull out your phone, and you're going to start recording, put it on your Instagram. Suddenly, whatever you're paying attention to before, now is no longer important. Now, death, my death and my destruction or something happened to me is more interesting. Someone is going to die. And that becomes more interesting. And that's what God did. So God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, not forced them. Remember, they are witnesses. They do this voluntarily. And this is the glory of God. God is not saying that you have to do this. And they say, we want to do this. This is the greatest testimony of our Christian faith is that we are willing to go to the fire for the Lord. And this is the greatest testimony that you can have for the Lord is that you say, watch me die. If God wants to resurrect me, it's fine. If he doesn't, that's also fine. That's what their testimony. This is before they were thrown in the fire. They said, that's fine if God will save us. And it's also okay with us if God doesn't save us. It's your faith. It's my faith like that. And that's where the testimony, our testimony would be so great for the Lord if we are able to be that kind of witness for the Lord. Now, everyone's looking at that golden image. Now, all their eyes are turning to the furnace. What a way to get people's attention. Isn't it amazing? Thousands of people bowing down. Music stopped. Nebuchadnezzar said, who? Who would not bow down? Music stopped. When you hear the music again, when you hear the flute, when you hear the sound again, bow down. Everyone's like, who's he talking to? So they look around and they see these three young men. Now their attention is up, face them. And now they give the greatest witness ever. We would not bow down to that statue. Well, what's wrong with the statue? All the people who have already bowed down. You mean that we did something wrong? And now people are paying attention. And then they say, our God is able to deliver us. Who's God? Now their witness is that they have a God. They went on and say, but if our God would not deliver us, we still won't bow down to you. Wait, there's a principle here. Not only they believe in a greater God than this king who is able to kill them, but they are saying that God can do whatever he wants to do. God doesn't have to do what they want him to do. The witness is this. Nebuchadnezzar, he was so enraged. He was so upset. By this time, imagine the people. Everyone is on the edge of their seat. What is he going to do? Make that fire seven times hotter. So the people, what, well, they're shoving coals in there or wood in there, and it gets hotter and hotter. And even the people who are heating up the fire got killed because the fire was so hot. Find those three guys. Imagine this. All the people are there. They're watching with anticipation. Not only they get bound, their hats, their coats, everything bound up. He was so upset with them, he didn't even let them change into their burning robes. You know they have burning robes? No, they don't have burning robes. They just bound them up, hats and everything. The mighty soldier of Nebuchadnezzar, the captains of Nebuchadnezzar, take these guys, bring them over to the furnace, throw them into the furnace. They fall into the furnace. And the people who threw them into the furnace die because it was so hot. Everyone there, instead of looking at the statue, now they're looking at the furnace. 
They see people are dying outside, intently watching the furnace. And then after a while, they start turning their attention away. And then here comes Nebuchadnezzar. Wait a minute, God used Nebuchadnezzar to turn people's attention again to the furnace. Now Nebuchadnezzar looking intently into the burning fire. And he saw in there something that he didn't see before. Not only he saw three people who were not hurt, but he saw someone else. When we yield our bodies as living sacrifices to God, God's Son shows up. He never late. God is never late. He's always on time. And his timing is this, is when you yield your body to God, God's Son shows up. The lateness comes in when we have not yielded our body to God. That's when God's Son doesn't show up. So when you yield your body to God, if you're living your life and you're asking a question, where is God's glory in my life? The question has to become, have I yielded my body to the Lord? Have I bound my life in a way that God is able to use me? See, if they were not bound and thrown in the fire, if they resist and they stand outside the fire, everyone's attention can be there, but God's son would not show up. God's son only shows up when they were thrown into the fire. And when we yield our body being thrown in the fire, then believe this, God's son will show up and the glory of God will unbound you. You will not be hurt by the fire not before, after you have yielded your body to the Lord. The point that God wants to convey to King Nebuchadnezzar here is this, that there is the mighty and powerful God. He does not need to make this glorious image of himself. These three young men who were really are not anything for people to pay attention to. You might think that you have nothing that God can use. But when you yield yourself to the Lord, being used by God in a sacrificial way, God's Son will show up and the king's, even the king's attention will be focused on you. He looked into the fire. He looked at them. He saw them. The ones that he were out to kill now walk in the fire. Everyone is now staring into the furnace. Everyone's attention is now there. No one else is looking at, it does not say the music even turned back on. Everyone's now looking in the fiery furnace because they threw these three men in there. The Son of God shows up. Everything changed. Everything changed after God's Son showed up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished. So he's looking in the fire and he was amazed. He was astonished and rose up in haste. So now he was sitting down all this time. And now after God's Son, after Jesus was revealed, what did he do? He get up. He now has to get up before the Son of God. He got up and spake and said to the counselor, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And he said, They answer yet, O king, yes. And now how come I see four? Because when we, you and I, the people of God, are being placed sacrificially as a witness for God, God shows up. This is the nature of our God. God shows up in the furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High, come forth and come hither. Then Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. This is where, if you pay attention to this story, you find that this verse is very, very strange, the way this verse is formed. 
It's not the way that we normally think or the way our rational mind thinks, but it's the way that we behave. This verse reflects the way that we behave. Let me ask you to think about this. Burning fire, they threw three men in there. Nebuchadnezzar, not only him, other people around him saw not three, but four men unbound walking in the fire. Four men. What did Nebuchadnezzar do when he saw this? He got up and he called out to Sadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You realize how strange that is? If you were there, if I was there and I saw this, you know who I would call out to? I would call out to the Son of God. Or not yourself. We don't want to call out to God. We want to call out to men. They're familiar with us. We saw them before they got thrown in the fire. We want to call them out. We want to hear the stories. We like the story. We like their adventure. We like their witnesses. But the purpose of God revealing His Son was so that we can call out to God's Son. And yet Nebuchadnezzar, like many of us, we don't call out to God's Son. We want to hear the story. Why don't you tell me about God? Remember, when the people of Israel were in the wilderness, and God said, I am going to come down. I'm going to visit you. You know what the people said? No, we don't want God to come down. Moses, you go for us. We know you. We like you. We've seen you. You go. You talk to God. Come back and tell us what God told you. This is our nature. And God wants us to elevate our relationship with God, even in addition to calling out to the people there. Because I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar, how should I call out to that fourth person? But he would have, if he was in his right mind, he would say, invite that fourth person to, to come. I want to meet that person because that person is important to the story. But yet he didn't call out to the Son of God. Our nature is just that. We can come here, we can be in this fellowship, and we can be part of this worship, and we can worship the Lord. But until you stop calling out to everyone else here and start calling out to the Son of God, we won't meet Him. The same way Nebuchadnezzar did not meet God. See, we esteem God at His distance. He, he knew God was powerful. He knew the Son of God was powerful. He did not call out to God. We still come to men. Come out. Tell us your story. What happened in there? But they could have had access to the Son of God Himself. They didn't. He didn't call out to the Son of God. He missed the greatest opportunity. And this was the last opportunity for him to encounter God in this way. And the third story, we see a very different story. This reflects on our journey with the Lord in the very same way. We come here and we, we look at men more than we look at God. We seek after stories and the adventure and the testimony of men more than our own encounter with God. This story should teach us that we should call out to God. We should call out to God. When we see these things, we should call out to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace that is upon us. We thank you for your testimony, Lord, to all those who are in this place. Lord, we are fascinated with the lives and the stories of people. And rightly so, Lord, we, uh, we are enlightened, we are changed and encouraged by the stories of people around us. But I ask, O oh God, that we would come to realize the author of those stories, the one who made it all possible, the encounter of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's infinitely more interesting, infinitely more transcending than any other stories. So I ask, Lord, for each one who are in this room today, cause us to not come and be a, a spectator 
of things that we can see and hear and understand and grasp with our mortal minds, but allow us to begin by faith and trusting to call out to the Son of God that you would reveal yourself. You tell us the meaning, the stories, the witnesses of your divine thoughts, your divine creation, the world that you are in, so that we are truly, Lord, enlightened in the revelation of who you are. So help us today, Lord God, to begin to look past things that we can see with our mortal eyes and begin to call out to the God whom our soul is touched and renewed daily. In the name of Jesus, I pray.